You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Brad Brown with you for the next half hour. We're going to be talking all things sports. So we'll be joined by Professor Ross Tucker to talk doping and cycling. That's the big story today. Chris Froome uh, could be stripped of his 2017 Vuelta a España title after he returned an adverse drugs test after stage 18 of this year's Grand Tour. Uh, We'll also uh, be talking some football and the Ashes as well. Speaking of football, the draw for the CAF Champions League and Confederations Cup has been concluded. Mamelodi Sundowns and Supersport United both receive a bye into the first round when will not play in the preliminary round, while Bidvest Vitz will face uh, Pampelousis of Mauritius uh, in the prelims. Cape Town City will come up against Young Buffaloes of Swaziland in the Confederation Cup prelims. It's the club's first ever CAF game. Meanwhile, Barocca FC have been named Absa Premiership Quarter 1 winners. Uh, in Q1, Barocca picked up 16 points, beating Sundowns and Supersport United, who finished on 15 points each. In total, Barocca won four matches, drew four and never lost one game. Tonight in the Absolute Premiership, Mamelodi Sundowns will look to extend their lead atop the standings when they host Maritzburg United, but they'll have to do it without Karma Biliat, Anthony Lafort, Lucky Mohomi, and Cuthbert Malajila, who will all miss the game due to injury, while Free State Stars play Supersport United at Goble Park. Both those matches kick off at 7.30. Eight games look forward to in England tonight. The pick of which sees Manchester City travel to Swansea. Liverpool host Brighton and Hove Albion. West Ham welcome London rivals Arsenal and Manchester United play Bournemouth at Old Trafford. On to some cricket news now. England captain Joe Root uh, sought to draw a line under the litany of off-field incidents that have dogged the team throughout the Ashes today, even as a senior player admitted they would continue to haunt the side during the third test in Perth, having already been quizzed repeatedly about team discipline. Root hopes that his players can put the focus back on cricket with a good whacker performance. It's very disappointing how things have turned out so far Um, and it's about putting that right now this week. We had an excellent attitude around practice yesterday and that has to be the same today and then when we go into the game it's just putting all the good stuff we've done so far on this tour together for five days and if we do that we'll win. In some live cricket action taking place at the moment, uh, Ramslam T20 Challenge semi-final happening at Supersport Park in Centurion. The Warriors up against the Titans. The Warriors batting first 61 for the loss of two after uh, 6.2 overs. And earlier today, England beat Sri Lanka, uh, India beat Sri Lanka to level their three-match ODI series at one apiece. Coming up next here on SAFM Sports Trap, we'll chat some doping and cycling with Professor Ross Tucker. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Big story today in uh, the world of cycling. Four-time Tour de France champion Christopher Froome uh, returning an adverse uh, blood results. And uh, we're going to dig a bit more into it uh, right now with Professor Ross Tucker. Ross, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. Thanks for your time. No worries, Brad. It was good to chat to you, even though it's almost always about bad stuff in sports, especially doping, but it's okay. I know, it's incredible, Ross. And uh, it just cycling just can, for some reason, can't seem to, to shake it. Uh, the, the news today, does it come as a surprise to you? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's always, it's always not, and not for the reasons you might think. <laughs> it's always surprising when someone gets caught. Not because they're not doping, but just because being caught is so rare that when an athlete goes down, I always 
double take and say, oh, wow, they actually got one. And when the athlete is as big a name as Chris Froome, then it's massive. So this is a huge story, and it's a, it's a hugely complicated story because it's not as clear-cut as, say, uh, Ben Johnson using steroids in 88 or even Lance Armstrong um, and his doping in the 90s. But it's massive because of who it is and because it's just the latest in a long line. But while I'm not, I'm not surprised that this has happened, I am surprised that it has been revealed, of course. Let's talk about what makes this one so complicated. We've, uh, the last couple of times we've spoken, have spoken about therapeutic use exemptions. Uh, Chris Froome testing, uh, or I, I say testing positive, he's, he's come up, it was a, an asthma drug that uh, he says the team doctor advised. He took double the, the, the sort of allowed limits in his, in his system. Uh, would this be under a TUE, or, or, or how would how would this work, and, and what's what's caused this uh, this this adverse result? Yes, yeah, so a good place to start. So the drug is called salbutamol, which is probably foreign to most listeners, but what they will know of is asthma pinch. And so, whether you've got asthma, or you've got friends, or acquaintances, or colleagues who've got asthma, you've probably seen them taking a couple of puffs of those asthma creams. So the, the drug that they're inhaling in that instance is called salbutamol. Now, that used to be seven years ago, that drug was banned unless you had a doctor's certificate saying that you could use it. In 2010, they unbanned it, and they basically said that you can use it as long as it's inhaled. You need allowed to take it as a pill or a liquid or any other form. As long as you inhale it, you can use it. But what we are going to do is we're going to test your urine and if the amount in your urine exceeds a certain threshold, then we're going to investigate whether you've overused the drug and whether you're potentially trying to gain some performance advantage. Does that make sense? So they're testing the output, which is in the urine. And the theory is that if your urine contains enough of it, then you have to have overused it by inhaling or ingesting or, or somehow consuming too much of your drug. And what is revealed today is that Chris Hume has twice the allowed amount in his urine. So what we don't know, and this is the first complicated thing, is how much did he take? Because it's not so simple as saying that on a normal day, Chris Hume produces X, and then if he doubles how much he uses, he's going to produce X times 2. It doesn't, doesn't work as cleanly as that in future. All we know is that he had more than was allowed as an output, but we don't know yet what the input was. Ross, it was just a few weeks ago, there was a documentary on BBC about uh, British cycling and the focus on Sir David Brailsford, uh, Brailsford and uh, Shane Sutton. Uh, and just some of uh, the things that came out of that was uh, where, where they said they, they are willing to push the, the, the boundaries if an athlete gets to 95% and they need to get a, a therapy use exemption to get them that extra 5%, they would do it. Uh, for for a, an organization that uh, has all along said they are squeaky clean, we've seen uh, other stories around Bradley Wiggins, now this with Chris Froome. Is this a case of where there's smoke, there's fire? Yeah, so I think when it comes to Sky, and it's been this way for a few years now, Brad, is this, there's always two, two issues and two ways you can debate this. The one is you can say, is what they do legal? And that's a black and white issue. And the other one is you can say, is what they do ethical? And that's never black and white. So 
when we've seen cases like Brad Wiggins and what you've just alluded to in that documentary, that to me goes towards revealing. And, and I, in my opinion, and you and I have spoken before, so I'll say it again, is I, I think the ethical issue is, is, is clear-cut, cut and dried, is that the way that Sky have behaved in the last four or five years is unethical. I think that they've pushed the limits of medical PUEs. I think they've given their athletes legal drugs, but in unethical and medically unethical ways. I mean, and they used to say, we're going to go right to the line and not beyond. I think it's very clear that they've gone right up to that line and they push hard against it. The question is, have they done anything illegal? Now, that's where people's opinions diverge. And some will say that in the case of Brad Wiggins, it wasn't illegal. My, my read of it is that it was. And it's the same thing now with Chris Froome. Is, if it's shown that he has exceeded the dosage, because that's what now has to be established, then it's no longer a question of ethics and gray area. It's black and white. He's dope, done. And he should be sanctioned and banned for it. So, so to answer your question, I think that the ethical argument is very clear, is that Sky, for all their promises about transparency and being ethical and not doing anything that can be challenged, have very clearly failed. And the question now is, to what extent have they crossed over from the white into the black and done things that are illegal? And this is a potentially, because we'll have to sit back and see how this unfolds, but potentially this is a massive, massive nail in that legal argument. Ross, is this a, a Team Sky and British cycling issue, or is it a, a UCI issue? I reckon it's probably depressingly a sports issue. Um, I, I think probably the resources and the single-minded focus of Sky to win in cycling has, has made them potentially, by scale, maybe one of the bigger culprits. But you can't look at sport at the moment and look at what the Russians are doing and have done. They've been in the news weekly for the last two years. You look at uh, what's happened in a number of other countries and cases, Kenya longest and turning and so forth. I think all over the world of sports, athletes are looking for these advantages all the time. And so it's this constant, I call it a dance, but that romanticizes it. It's a, it's a chase between anti-dopers and dopers. And this is the new frontier, is the whole world of using medical products, legal medical products, to gain an advantage in unethical ways. So I reckon you'll find the same thing in distance running. You look at Salazar, Mo Farah, Galen Rupp. You'll find it in cross-country skiing, and we're seeing it, obviously, in cycling. As far as uh, potential sanctions, do you see this uh, just turning into a, a slap on the wrist, or, or could we see a, a potential ban here? Obviously, this happened during one of the Grand Tours in the Vuelta. Could Chris Froome be stripped of, of that title? I've been reading up this afternoon to try and get some indication of which way the wind blows on this stuff, and it's very difficult because it seems to change a lot. Um, and that's the next complexity. So there have been cases of cyclists who have been stripped of titles and served not... Because, you know, normally it's a four-year ban for a doping offense. I haven't found one of those. What I have found is nine months here, cross-country skiing champion got a two-month ban and some of his results taken away for the same, the same thing that Froome has now been exposed as having. Yet I found other examples where athletes were cleared completely. And so... The context of those cases is, is really important, and there's probably massive legal and potentially scientific fine print that goes into it. So I hate that that's the case, because what, what it means is that listeners and people like yourself and myself 
we're not going to get a clean answer to this. But my sense early on is that Sky will have a very difficult time explaining this because Froome has been riding for four or five years as an elite athlete with asthma, and this has never happened before. So they would have to explain why now, all of a sudden, there's this anomaly. And if they can't do that, then I, I don't see him getting a four-year ban and ending up in the in the Lance Armstrong naughty corner. But I, I do see potentially those results being stripped and a two-month, six-month, nine-month, something like we've seen in the past. Well, here's a, a stat for you that uh, the BBC have been reporting today. Their research suggests that 35 to 40 percent of British Olympic cyclists using inhalers, compared to the 21 percent of the entire Olympic team, that's nine uh, percent of the general population are on these inhalers. Do you think there's a, a serious problem with these therapeutic use exemptions? Does it does it need to be stamped out of sport totally that it's either you clean or you're not? Because I mean, it's having these sort of things in sport is is really blurring the lines. Yeah, in a in an ideal world, I would say no therapeutic use exemptions at all because in the last four or five years, it's just shown itself to be such fertile ground for misuse and abuse and cheating. Um, and again, we're talking cycling now. Next month, maybe we'll be talking about long distance running and Salazar when those when those verdict that verdict eventually comes out because he's under investigation for the same thing. So, in an ideal world, I would say that. Athletes should not be allowed to use drugs for diseases. And what that means is you're saying basically that unless you're a perfectly healthy human being, you're not meant to be an elite athlete. But I also understand that that's unrealistic and harsh because now you've got a kid with asthma who also has cycling ability or running ability, and you're saying, sorry for you, you just are unlucky and you can't be an elite athlete anymore. So so they've got to figure out how to fix it because at the moment – clearly isn't fit for purpose because it's being abused so widely. So the extreme response is to say, let's just scrap all TUEs. And in moments like this, that's what I feel like. But then in in more sensible, calmer moments, I think we've got to actually fix it somehow. But I I, I don't know how you go about doing that unless there is massive investment from all parties, including including the broadcasters, the sponsors, because the moment it's just it's it's just out of control. Absolutely. Professor Ross Tucker, thank you for joining us this evening on this AFM Sport Trap. Much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, I don't see this getting resolved uh, anytime soon, but uh, it's always good to, to talk about, and I think it's important to put a spotlight on when things like this do happen. Sure, no worries. Thanks, thanks for chatting, as always. AFM Sports Wrap. This is South Africa's news and information leader. Test three of the Ashes series gets underway tomorrow. We join now by Tom Seisland, cricket journo, who's been following the action for us. Uh, Tom, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. England 2-0 down, going into number three. This is uh, mission critical for them. They have to win this one to keep the series alive. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Um, yeah, it's a serious situation for England, especially considering... They haven't won since 1978. I mean, the last 10 matches in the Ashes at Perth have been eight wins and two draws to Australia. So England are up against it historically and they're up against it in quality, judging by the last two tests. Have you been surprised at how, I don't want to say one-sided, because it's it's just been like one or two days that the English have let it slip, but uh, the Aussies have, have pretty much dominated the series 2-0 with, with three to play. I mean, they're, they're in the pound seat. 
Yeah, look, it has come down to critical sessions. I mean, uh, Steve Smith in his uh, press conference this morning said that England are two bad sessions away from losing the Ashes. And it really does come down to that. I mean, the last test, England going into the fifth day had a little bit of a sniff. And then the bowlers just blew them away. And, you know, in, in, in a matter of uh, half a session, England went from uh, being in with a chance of making it 1-1 to two down uh, in, in the space of like an hour. So it's it's those little moments, it's those those sessions that count so much. So Australia, I wouldn't say they've completely outplayed the English, but they've just been more clinical where it's really mattered. Let's talk about uh, tomorrow and what England need to do. Do do you see change in in personnel? What's uh, what's the story? Are, are they going to make big changes? Do they need to make big changes? Well, England have uh, confirmed that they've got an unchanged eleven. But the only the only change is Bairstow moving up a bit in the order. I think he's replacing Moen Ali, so a slightly different six and seven, which I think is a good move. I think Bairstow is a quality batsman and he needs a bit of time at the crease, whereas Moen Ali is more of an attacking batsman and can bring that player down the order. But, I mean, that's a very minor change. And I think England are trying their best not to make uh, major changes. I think they want to try and get a bit of consistency going, so... I think that's fair, but uh, for Australia, I think it's now down to Mitchell Marsh and Peter Hanscom. Uh, they might be wanting to get an extra bowler in. Historically, Perth has been quite tough on the bowlers, so they might bring a fifth bowler in, and Hanscom has been woefully out of form, so it could be a good move for them as well. Let's talk about Perth. Uh, it's one of those pitches that uh, bounces uh, a bit. Do you think England are going to struggle on that, on that surface? Yeah, it's a, it's a classic Aussie pitch where it's, I mean, it's a bowling paradise for the likes of uh, Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins, and it's going to bring a lot of bounce. And honestly, that's more detrimental to the English. I mean, I said before the series that Australia have that strength in their pace. And Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins, even Hazelwood sometimes, can just rely on their pace. Uh, whereas England have to do a lot more with the ball. I mean, Broad and Anderson aren't natural pace, and they need to rely on swing and movement. It's going to be another tough one for them. And Craig Overton, he had a good debut, but over a sustained period of time, I don't think he's going to produce good just because he doesn't have the pace. He's bowling sort of low 130Ks an hour, and uh, I don't know. I think the English are going to struggle. Do you think, uh, I mean, where do you think England have to be better, particularly in in the first two days if they are to, to win this, this third test, Tom? Look, I say that England's, Pace hasn't been up to scratch compared to the Aussies, but their, their bowling's actually not been that bad. It's in the batting where they're struggling a lot. I mean, Alistair Cook, it's his 150th test match uh, tomorrow. He really needs to score runs after all this time. You know, he, he's the main man. He's the experienced guy on that team, and he hasn't stepped up. He's relied on his other opening partner, Mark Stoneman, to score runs. And the same's got to be said for Joe Root. He's got a couple of 50s on this tour, but... I mean, the difference between him and uh, someone like Steve Smith and even Sean Marsh in this series so far is that they go on to score big. And that's why I'm talking about those sessions. And Steve Smith and Sean Marsh dominating sessions with the bat, whereas Joe Root was just all of a sudden loses wicket. He's been doing that for a long time now where he doesn't go on to get the big scores. He just gets a 50. And that's not going to win you matches, especially with an inexperienced batting, batting attack. I mean, Mark Stoneman's played well, but he's lacking experience. James Vince is struggling for form, and Dovin Milan also hasn't really produced the big scores. So they really need Alistair Cook and Joe Root to score big. It's about time.
As far as the Aussies go, uh, you've mentioned uh, the possible change in personnel, but for them, whatever they've been doing this season, uh, this series so far is, is has been working. They're not going to change things up too much. Uh, I'm sure if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I think that is the case. I mean, they're full of confidence, full of momentum, and you know they've stuck to their tactic of uh, that mental disintegration where they've sort of spoken big before. That just spurs them on. It pushes them. And obviously, if they can back up their talk on the field as well, then it's just going to push them even more. And I just, I think it's, everything's just going very well for them at the moment. I don't think they need to change too much. I can understand why they'd want to bring in Mitchell Marsh instead of Hanscom. But I, if I was them, I'd just keep to the same 11. I mean, what's working at the moment, they, they don't need to change much. Absolutely. Well, it all gets underway tomorrow at the Wacker. Tom Sison, and always great to catch up. Thanks for, for your time this evening. Uh, enjoy the last test. And let's hope just for, for the sake of the neutrals that England do have a, a, a great test match. Uh, pull one back 2-1, and I think it'll set the series up really, really nicely. The last thing we want to see is a, uh, is a 5-0 whitewash. And uh, if England do lose the next one, I think we may be on the way to that. But thanks for your time this evening. Much appreciated. Sure. Thanks, Ben. SAFM Sports Wrap. On to some football now here on SAFM Sports Wrap. And a couple of days ago, we reported uh, the Player of the Month and Coach of the Month awards for the APSA Premiership. Uh, Shlobo Kwekano winning the Player of uh, the Month and the coach going to Tabocha Malloy, Chippa United. He joins us now on uh, the show. Tabocha, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. Congratulations on the award. Thank you, Fred. And let me say good evening to your listeners. And... Uh let me thank God Almighty for this uh, award and thank my chairman, Sipon Penesi, for giving me the chance to be the coach of Chippa United when everybody thought that uh, I was uh, not good enough to be a head coach. And thank uh, the supporters of Chippa United and my players and technical team uh, for the support that given me, they have given me during this uh, difficult period. Tuboko, you, you talk about being the head coach. Uh, you've had experience of being an assistant coach uh, to coaches who's won uh, a Coach of the Month award. I'm thinking Clinton Larson in particular. It, it must be pretty satisfying uh, you getting the award now, being being in charge of a club and, and, and being recognized for the work you're putting in. Yes, and uh, I'm happy that you're mentioning that men's name. You know, Clinton and I go a long way, eh? And uh, I call him legend, you know, because he's been the legend to me of the game. And uh, when he first won it, you know, last last season, uh, I envied him. And, uh, you know, when I congratulated him, he said, no, one day when you are the head coach, you'll get a chance to win it. And uh, now it's happening, and uh, I'm very, very uh, grateful to my team and uh, uh, everyone, and uh, especially the players who put in a lot of work for me during the course of this difficult period. As you know, that uh, we are the only team in the Eastern Cape, so at times it is difficult to find quality opponents, especially during the FIFA breaks. So the players had to do it all by themselves without anybody, you know, giving them uh, quality games. So we rely mostly on our training ability and uh, the training uh, sessions that we normally have. Let's talk about Chip United's fortunes, and, and, and as you say, being the only, only team in, in the, the Eastern Cape, it, it does come with its challenges, but one of the things the judges said that they were very impressed uh, with, with your work with the club is, is how you've managed to, to galvanize the team without making major changes to their, to their playing style and, 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 and have gotten the best out of the players. 
I'll be honest to you, you know, the foundation that has been laid by former coaches, especially Rogers Kakani and uh, Dan Malisela, it is a type of play that I enjoy. But uh, the only difference is that uh, is that uh, uh, they never emphasized on the end product, which is uh, uh, whatever that you start, you should either finish it off with a goal, corner kick, or a foul, or, a, you know, a save by the goalkeeper. So the only thing that I'm preaching to these boys is that uh, we are South Africans are a good nation and playing entertaining football. We are the best when it comes to uh, ball retention, knocking the ball, you know, uh, changing it from one side to the other, playing our shibubos, our thumbnails. But at the end of the day, if we don't get results, what does that stand us for? So at the end of the day, I just had to tell them that uh, the most important thing is to get results. And if you're playing away from home, you already have a point in your hand. Why let go of that point? And if you're playing at home, you already have the 12th player, which are your vocal supporters. So why do you not want to grab the other two two points that you don't have uh, in your hand? So it's very important for the players at that time when I arrived that they understood this philosophy that I have, that uh, a point away from home is good enough. But if you can grab, if you can get a smash and grab, do that. But at home... By all means, uh, get all the three points uh, available for you. Talking of at home, uh, that's where you are this coming uh, Sunday or Saturday against Polokwane City. And and if you look yeah, at the Saturday. log, Tibor, I mean, Chip United currently sitting fifth. Uh, I mean, it, it's very log jam. Three points going to put you put you right up at the top once again. Uh, if I had said to you at the beginning of the season, come. Christmas, you'd be where you are on the on the log. What would you have said to me? I'm sure you'd have taken it. I would have, have no. I'll be honest. I would have laughed at you because <laughs> of as you know, as you know that uh, you know cheaper for the past. I don't know how many years. You look at them, you always find them on on the other end of the of the log. You know, trying to survive a relegation. But this is this season. It is different, and uh, for me. The most important thing besides, uh, like I've always been preaching, that besides the records and everything, it is just to see for a change, you know, this team doing so well. And uh, as, you, as you've just said, uh, that uh, uh, a win changes the whole thing. I hear everybody saying our league is so boring, we're missing change, but they don't understand and see that it is that coaches are improving with each and every team that they have uh, at their disposal. The spaces have been closed. Uh, uh, influential players have been tightly marked. Uh, strikers don't get that inch enough uh, space to have a clinical finish. You know, it is 10th anniversary of the PSL, and football is exciting where you see a team at number, let's say, roughly eight, gets three points, and then you look at them, they jump right on top and go to top four or top three. That is how tight and how exciting the league has become. I mean, you look at teams, for example, they've been losing and throwing here and there, and their win over the weekend made them to leapfrog right over everybody to position three. So this is an exciting league for me, whereby uh, you need you need a team that will be consistent. As you see, Sundowns already are showing uh, the experience of playing in the continent. You know, they've already chalked up three wins in, a, in, 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 in succession, and they're already on top of the lock. So... For me, it is who defends well and who gets, who uh, takes his chances very well. And uh, if that happens, then you run away with the league. But I, I, I'll guarantee you, it won't be over until we've played about uh, 22 games. 
from the 22nd game, and then that is when the league will be now starting to be wide open and to be clear who's taking the league and who will finish where. Absolutely. Well, Tabo Kumaloi, thank you so much for your time this evening on SAFM Sports Chat. Best of luck for their clash against Polokwane City at the Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium on Saturday. And we look forward to, to following your and Chip United's progress for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. And we really need that luck. You just gave it to us. SAFM Sports Wrap. And that's about it for the show this evening. A quick cricket update for you. The first semi-final of the Ramslam T20 taking place at Supersport Park in Centurion. The Warriors up against the Titans. The Warriors currently 119 for the loss of five. Then after 13.5 overs. More sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live with Janet Witten. I'll be back again tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. And Dwayne DeLocker will be back tomorrow on SAFM Sports Ramp at 6.30 from my team in Johannesburg today. Thank you very much to Zalman Loyola for uh, keeping things together. Coming up on the other side of 7 o'clock, it is the talk shop. Don't forget, you can be in touch. You can email us, sport at safm.co.za or reach out via social media at SAFM Radio or to me personally at Big Brad Brown. Have yourself a superb Wednesday evening. Right now it is 7 o'clock and time for your news.